to a cardiologist's office to reupholster the chairs in the waiting room. When he walked into this office and he looked at the chairs, he saw something really odd. The front edge of the chairs were worn out, and the first two or so inches of the armrests were worn out. And as soon as he saw that, he wondered what was wrong with the patients that showed up at this office. About five years later, these cardiologists, Dr. Friedman, Dr. Rosenman, uh, put the pieces together, uh, put the observations together, and realized that most of the patients that showed up in their office shared this common problem. And that's what they, they, they coined or termed as people that had this chronic sense of time urgency. Uh, people that were, um, would be very irritable if they had to wait in line. Uh, people that were always in a hurry, that were very anxious, and that would cause them uh, in their relationships to be very hurried with their speak. They would interrupt people. They couldn't wait. They couldn't rest. And so that described what was going on in the chairs in, those, in that waiting room. Literally, people were sitting on the edge of their seat because they had to wait on the cardiologist. And you know what a doctor's office wait is like. And they would fidget with their hands on the front of the armrests. And these doctors, these cardiologists, actually coined what they said was a new disease, and they called it hurry sickness. Hurry sickness. Now, that was a half century ago. Our world has gotten nothing but faster and more busy. But hurry sickness today is not so much a sickness as it is a sign of status. There were some researchers that did some work and, and realized that hurry sickness is not a sickness. It's actually a sign of status. And they pointed to some ads uh, in our culture that point to this, this value of being hyper busy. This was a Rolex ad that said this, checking his watch costs Bill Gates $300 a second. What is your time worth? Or this was a, a tagline for an ad put out by the Wall Street Journal that featured celebrities reading the Wall Street Journal. And the tagline said this, people who don't have time make time to read the Wall Street Journal. And these researchers, as they kind of put all of it together, said that the conspicuous consumption of our day is no longer the scarce resources of jewelry or money or a car, that today it's the, it's the belief that I am the scarce resource, and therefore I am valuable. And that's why I am so busy. We are a culture and a people that do not know how to rest. We don't do it well. We don't know where to find it. And yet, the God who made us has given us the gift of rest, and he tells us how to rest, and he tells us what true rest is. So that's the question that Genesis 2 answers. What is true rest? 
Now, before we answer this question, let me just give you the frame, the frame in which we're gonna answer this question. There are three observations that come out of these three verses in Genesis 2 that are incredibly important that will frame this discussion around what true rest is. First observation, God's rest is not inactivity. Look at verse two, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God wasn't exhausted after he worked hard for six days to make the earth and the heavens. Uh, God wasn't needing a nap. When it said that God rested, he wasn't tired. God doesn't get tired. It wasn't rest of inactivity. It was rest of achievement. It was God enjoying what he had made. And so the rest he gives us is not just physical rest from exhaustion. It's something much deeper, which we'll see. Observation number two. God has designed our world with a rhythm that encourages this deeper rest. He has wired and designed this world with a rhythm that encourages this deeper rest. Look at verse three. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Or that means set it apart. The fourth of the Ten Commandments prescribes this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy or to set it apart. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. We get the word Sabbath from the Hebrew word for rest in Genesis 2, 1 through 3. The Hebrew word Shabbat, where we get Sabbath from. Third observation. The morning and evening formula in the first six days of creation, where God says there was morning, there was evening, is absent from the seventh day. Now, why? Because rest is ongoing. There's an eternal ongoing rest that God speaks of that doesn't have an end to it, like morning, evening. That's why it's absent from that seventh day description. So three observations. God's rest is not inactivity. God has designed our world with a rhythm, the Sabbath day, to encourage this deeper rest, and this rest is eternal. Now, this is the frame that's gonna answer or frame the question that we're gonna answer. What is true rest? First, what is true rest? It's a celebration of your design. The Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 tie rest, tie Sabbath to God's creative activity or tie it to creation. Exodus 20, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy or set it apart. Right? The Sabbath day is tied to God's creative act, which means that true rest is a celebration of your design, how you have been wired and created by God. That God has created you, has wired into you a rhythm of work and rest. That is from God. And so when you don't honor that design that he's wired into you through overwork or even underwork, it leads to breakdown because that's how God has designed you. You are the most productive, the most healthy, the most joyful when you honor 
the way God has designed you. In high school, one of my best friends, uh, his parents bought him a brand new car right after he got his driver's license. And it was a black Toyota Camry four-door sedan. Now, Toyota Camrys have gotten a lot sportier recently. But in the 90s, a Toyota Camry was a solid four-door family car. But my best friend drove it like it was a high-performance sports car with me in it. And that meant that he literally, in and around his neighborhood, would scream around the corners at such a speed that, the, that not only would the wheels squeal, but the car would literally slide. This is how he drove this car. It was an automatic, but he would jam the gas so hard that it would downshift several times until the RPMs were in the red. It was a brand new car. How long do you think this car lasted? Literally, within the first three months, his tires were flat because he took the corners so hard that literally the tire, you know, the seal between the tire and the wheel broke. His tires were flat. He didn't honor the design of this car. He used it in a way that it wasn't intended and it led to breakdown. God has wired you and designed you with a rhythm of work and rest. It's part of our created nature. And so overwork or underwork violates that nature and leads to breakdown. This is not, this is not much of a surprise. I mean, how many people have you heard who get uh, into stressful, overworking seasons for long periods of time that develop heart problems? cardiac issues, right? Or a recent article, this was several years ago, the New York Daily News reported uh, these orthopedic surgeons that were seeing uh, a massive increase in the number of catastrophic knee injuries among teenage athletes. They were seeing, I mean, from decades before, they were seeing just massive amounts of knee injuries that were requiring reconstructive work, and they were scratching their heads and saying, what is happening? And they these orthopedic surgeons finally came together, and this is what they said, the current emphasis on playing one sport all year long leaves no time for muscles and joints to recover from the microtrauma trauma that occurs during practice and play. Right, we're not, we are designed for a rhythm of work and rest. God has wired that into us, and when we violate that design, we lead, it leads to breakdown. Right? So Sabbath rest or true rest is simply a celebrating and honoring that design. In the 19th century, a British politician, his name was Samuel Plimsoll, he confronted a major problem of the day. The advent of insurance had led a lot of ship owners to overload, purposely overload their ships so that they would sink so that they could collect the insurance money. And so it became an epidemic. And so tons of seamen that were out in these ships were losing their lives because of greedy ship owners that were overloading their ships, purposely sinking them, collecting the insurance money. And Samuel Plimsoll crusaded to get legislation to do something about it. And, and the, the British Parliament in 1873 passed 
the Merchant Shipping Act, which was basically an act that forced ship owners to draw a line around the hull of their ship. It was the safe line at which it couldn't get loaded any further. And so as long as the line was showing, the ship was loaded safely. But if the line disappeared, that meant that the ship was overloaded. God has given us a plimsoll line, so to speak. It's called the Sabbath, the Sabbath day. It's that one day of the week where he draws a line around it for us to rest. And it's for your good. The Sabbath is for your good. It's not a burden. It's not meant to be a burden. That's what Jesus addresses in Mark chapter two when he says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Not meant to be a burden. It's meant to be rest. It's a gift from God that honors your design. It's a celebration of how he has wired you with a rhythm of work and rest. Now, we stopped here. This would be woefully insufficient. Because all I've said so far is you need to physically rest. And that would be going against the very point I made in the beginning, right? Yes, celebration of your design brings rest, honoring that design. But there's something much deeper to Sabbath rest. True rest is a celebration of your design. But second, it's a declaration of your freedom. The Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5, tie Sabbath rest to God's redemptive act. Exodus 20 ties it to God's creative act. Deuteronomy 5 ties it to God's redemptive act. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Sabbath is tied to God's redemptive act. It, it was a reminder of the day that God rescued his people out of awful slavery in Egypt. So to be a declaration of their freedom, it was almost to be a, a reenactment of their emancipation from, from slavery. It was, a, it was a reminder and a declaration that they were rescued from a condition where they were not human beings, but rather just units of capacity and production in Pharaoh's brick-making system. It was a declaration of their freedom. And that delivery from Egypt was only pointing to a, a greater delivery that would come. And that's our delivery from sin that has been accomplished by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross to deliver us from the awful slave master of sin. Just as God finished his creative work, work of creation and rested, so Christ finished the work of redemption and rested. Right? Hebrews 10, verse 12 says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Sat down, rested, ceased. It was finished. The work of redemption was finished. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. 
Listen, sin is an awful slave master. It will abuse you. It will use you. It will grind you to a stump. That is what sin does. Jesus Christ came to rescue you from that awful slavery, and he did it by his death on the cross when he shed his blood. And then he again reminds us of the Sabbath day to say, your true rest, your Sabbath rest is a declaration of the freedom that I bought you. It's a declaration of that freedom. Think about when God's people were were rescued out of Egypt. They were rescued, brought through the Red Sea, and once they got through, the waters of the Red Sea consumed the Egyptian soldiers. They stood on the other side of that sea free. Pharaoh could have stood on the other side of that sea and yelled at them and ordered them and commanded them, and they didn't have to listen. It's the same way with our sin. Sin will demand of you because it wants to ruin you. And if you're in Christ and you have trusted in Christ, you don't have to listen to sin's demands anymore. You are free. Now, if you cannot obey God's command to observe Sabbath rest, or if you can't obey his command to rest, then you are a slave, even if a self-imposed one. Even if a self-imposed one, your own heart or maybe our materialistic culture or an exploitative organization will abuse you if you aren't disciplined in rest, if you're not disciplined in keeping that rest. Sabbath rest is a loud declaration of your freedom. That It means that you're no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave to your culture's expectations. You're no longer a slave to your boss's expectations. You're no longer a slave to your family's hopes. You're no longer a slave to your medical residency demands. You're no longer a slave to your professor's demands or to your coach's expectations. And then let me, let me land with this one. You're no longer a slave to your own insecurities. You are free. And weekly Sabbath rest should be a, a declaration of that freedom. There's this great scene at the, the end of the movie Aladdin. Uh, Disney recently put out the live version of Aladdin. It's awesome. Uh, Will Smith plays the genie. And he is masterful, as only Will Smith can be playing that genie. Gets to the end of the movie, and of course, Jafar, who's the evil figure in the movie, uh, gets destroyed, removed, he's gone. And and then the, um, the genie asks Aladdin, what's your final wish gonna be? And uh, he gives him some options. You could wish for this, for this, for this. And then to everybody's surprise, Aladdin wishes that the genie would be set free. And so the genie goes through this big transformation and then finally is standing in front of Aladdin just as a human being. And and he's trying to, he wants to test out his freedom. 
He wants to make sure he's free. So the genie says to Aladdin, he says, Aladdin, tell me to do something. And Aladdin says, genie, get me some jams. And the genie goes, get it yourself? Get your own jams. Not doing it for you. Jesus Christ has set you free. You don't answer to sin's demands anymore. Because sin is no longer your master. Jesus Christ is. Sabbath rest, true rest, is a declaration of that freedom. It's a declaration of that freedom. So what is true rest? Celebration of your design It's a declaration of your freedom. And finally, it is a rehearsal of your eternal rest. Back to Genesis 2, the reason why there's not a morning and evening to the seventh day is because God's talking about something, a rest, that continues for eternity. Hebrews 4 picks this up. says, for if Joshua had given them rest, and he's speaking of God's people coming out of slavery from Egypt, They wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They're promised a land flowing with milk and honey. They're promised a better place. It's called the promised land. For if Joshua had given them rest, speaking of the promised land that Joshua led them into, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now, what are these works that you rest from in this eternal rest? What are the works that are being spoken of here? Most of the time when we speak of eternal rest or we speak of heaven, uh, we, we are thinking of a place where we don't have to work anymore right? Finally, I do not have to go to work on Monday morning, right? We almost, sometimes we create heaven to be this uh, all-inclusive resort in the Caribbean forever. I mean, I just get to sit by a pool, sip a drink, and eat, and do nothing for eternity, right? Not so. The work that Hebrews 4 talks about us resting from is not the work that you go to on Monday morning. Because the Bible's clear that we will work in the new heavens and the new earth. Work's not going away. Work's not the problem. Sin is the problem. And what sin does to our view of work and how sin causes us to abuse the creation through our work and to abuse relationships and people and take advantage of people through our work. The work that we rest from is the work under the work. It's the work under your work that you find rest in from Christ. Now, what do I mean by that? You work to draw a salary. You do work and you get a paycheck from it. But there's work that you do that's under that work. And that's the work of 
chasing away insignificance. That's the work of making a name for yourself through your job. It's the work of building an identity. It's the work of being successful. It's the work of building a comfortable and pleasurable life. There is work under the work, and it's that work under the work that's exhausting that doesn't let you rest. It's the reason why you can go away for a week for vacation and come back and not feel rested. Because if you don't rest from the work under the work, you're still exhausted when you get back from your physical rest of the week of vacation. There's work under the work. And it's this work of resting from that Hebrews talks about in Christ. Jesus Christ delivers you from the work under the work. And he says it in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus removes the work under your work. Your significance is found in him. Your name is found in him. Your success is found in him. Your comfort's found in him. Your need for control or power is satisfied in him. He takes away that work under the work and and actually gives you the ability to rest. Now, in Christ, you experience that rest now, although it's inconsistent. When Christ returns in the new heavens and new earth, you will experience rest consistently and perfectly from the work under your work. There's a great example of this in the movie Chariots of Fire. You've got two men who are competing in the Olympics. They're racing uh, in the Olympics, two runners. Uh, The one man has to medal. He He is justifying his existence by winning a medal in the Olympics. The other man, Eric Little, has found so much rest in Christ that he is willing to give up likely a gold medal by not running on Sunday. You see, the one man is doing the work under the work. He needs a medal because he needs that identity. He needs that justification. The other man is freed from the work under the work, and so he gets to run simply for God's pleasure. And he tells his sister when she asks about it, he says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. He just runs for the sheer joy of it and to delight in the one who gave him the gifts. But he doesn't need the accolade because Jesus had freed him from the work under the work. True rest is rehearsing your eternal rest, which means when when God draws that line, so to speak, around that one day a week to give you rest, it certainly is a, a physical resting to celebrate the design and the rhythm of work and rest in you but it's also a declaration of your freedom. You don't have to answer to the demands that sin places on you through a number of different ways. And it's, it's you rehearsing that rest at a heart and soul level that says my significance, my worth, my identity, my name, my comfort is wrapped up in Jesus. I am free. Let me leave you with a couple questions to think about as you actively 
apply this true rest or Sabbath rest to your lives? Number one, do you have a rhythm of weekly intentional Sabbath rest? Number two, are you violating God's design by overworking or underworking? And if you are overworking and you find yourself unable to rest, unable to, uh, to keep God's command to observe Sabbath rest, then what are you enslaved to that keeps you from resting? What is the work under your work that keeps you from resting in Christ? 